podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 18th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and the Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Finally, do check out the Atad Predictable podcast on this feed, hosted by Tadiwa, and the EPL Roundtable on its own feed, hosted by Kevin DeVries, both from EPL Index. Right, folks. Um, first things first, I'm not here tomorrow. So today, Guy will join me after the break to preview tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow's games and Thursday's games. And we can then... Come back Thursday and most of them will be over and we can have a chat about them. Uh, for now, I want to quickly look at the Ballon d'Or, which was held last night, and congratulate Karim Benzema on winning it. I don't think there's any doubt that he was fully deserving of the award. Um, Lionel Messi not nominated for the award for the first time since 2005. Cristiano Ronaldo, who's obviously won it many times, finishing in 20th position. Quite the change from the norm. So Benzema won, Sadio Mane two. Not sure he should have been that high. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne three, Robert Lewandowski four, Mohamed Salah five, Mbappe six, Courtois, Vinicius and Modric, seven, eight, nine, all from Real Madrid. Erling Haaland, 10, that's a little bit of a farce. Sun, 11. Riyad Mahrez, 12. That's a bizarre choice. Riyad Mahrez might have been top scorer for City last season, but look at when and how he scored his goals. Uh, Sebastian Haller, 13. Rafael Leao and Fabinho joined 14. Virgil van Dijk, 16. Casemiro, Dusan Vlahovic, Luis Diaz, joined 17th and then Cristiano Ronaldo in 18th, one spot ahead of Harry Kane, Bernardo Silva, Trent and Phil Foden as joint 22nd, Josh Kimmich, Mike Mannion, Antonio Rudiger, João Cancel, Christopher Nkunku and Darwin Nunes joined 25th. Alexia Patalas was the women's Ballon d'Or winner, just ahead of Beth Mead. And Chelsea's Sam Kerr. The Copa Trophy, which is basically the, the golden boy, the best under 21 player, went to Gavi. Eduardo Camavinga was second. Jamal Musiala third. 
Jude Bellingham in fourth, Nuno Mendes, Ryan Gravenberch, Josko Gvardiol, Bikayo Saka, Kareem Adeyemi, and Florian Verts rounding out the top 10. The Yashin Award, named after Lev Yashin, goes to the best goalkeeper. Thibaut Courtois top, Alison Becker second, Ederson third, Edward Mendy fourth, Mike Magnon fifth, Kevin Trapp, Manuel Naur, Jano Black, Yasin Bono of Sevilla and Hugo Lloris finish out the top 10. Uh, Jano Black had probably the worst season of his professional career last year, so I'm not sure why he's in the top 10. Um, I found that one a little bit strange. I also found it a little bit strange that Mike Mannion was nominated for the Ballon d'Or. Ederson was not. Neither was um, neither was Edward Mendy, and yet both of them finished above him. Allison wasn't nominated either. Uh, Allison should have been, but wasn't. Uh, the Socrates Award, I'm not sure what that's given for, went to Sadio Mane. The Gerd Muller Trophy, which is basically for the best striker, went to Robert Lewandowski, which is bizarre, considering... Karim Benzema won the Ballon d'Or. Should he not have been given the award? Is that not how that should work? Benzema was the player of the year as a striker, but didn't win striker of the year. It's very, very silly. And then there's club of the year. So Liverpool had the most players nominated with six on the men's side. Manchester City had five players nominated and one woman nominated. And somehow Manchester City are club of the year and Liverpool are not, uh, which seems odd, especially when you're considering where the players landed in the in the Ballon d'Or itself. Um, Liverpool had second and fifth. City had third. City's next one was 12. Liverpool had 14. 16 and 17 and then City had two at 22 as did Liverpool and Joe Canseo at 25 surely you would just base it on those rankings Lucy Bronze City's uh, female player of the year that was nominated was 10th in the women's rankings I'm not really sure how that equates to Manchester City as club of the year but I wouldn't even argue that Liverpool should have won it Real Madrid clearly should have won it. Real Madrid won La Liga and the Champions League last year. I don't care how many players they had nominated. They were the best club. They were the best club last season. They had the winner. They had four in the top 10. Casemiro was 17th. They also had second place in the Young Player of the Year award for Eduardo Camavinga. I'm just really not sure what planet we live on that Manchester City are being awarded this. It seems like such a complete nonsense. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Congrats to Karim Benzema. Congrats to Thibaut Courtois, to Gavi, and to Alexia Patalis on their awards. Um, No congratulations to Robert Lewandowski because... 
you, you don't deserve it. You clearly weren't the striker of the year if Karim Benzema was voted winner of the Ballon d'Or and you finished fourth. I mean, Sadio Mane played as a striker last season and was second. So if you're the third best in terms of the Ballon d'Or as a striker, I'm not sure how you can win the Ballon the best striker award. Anyway, let's move on. We wanted to do winners and losers from this weekend. So the first winner is Arsenal. Rode their luck quite substantially, but they beat Leeds. While at the same time, Manchester City lost to Liverpool. So Arsenal opened up a four-point gap at the top of the table. And look, after 10 games, the table is largely meaningless, but they have a four-point lead. Uh, My second winner, I would say... Has to be Brighton, not Brighton. Sorry, has to be Bournemouth. Um, has to be Bournemouth because I just think the turnaround has been phenomenal under Gary O'Neill. And I talked about this yesterday. He, he took over a club that was in freefall. They'd just been pumped nine nil at Anfield. The manager had been slating the players. Confidence had to be at an all-time low. And he's taken over. And in his six games, he's taken 10 points. He's completely changed the mood. He's got them playing for each other. He's got them defending fairly well. For a team that had conceded so many goals before he took over. Like, you're talking about a team that had conceded 16 goals in three Premier League games. He got a clean sheet against Wolves. They did concede two against Nottingham Forest, but they scored three. Only conceded one away to Newcastle. Clean sheet against Brentford. Only conceded one against Leicester. Conceded two against Fulham, but didn't lose. Got the draw in that game. Two draws, four defeats, two clean sheets. I mean, this is a completely turned around team. In his seven games... They've conceded seven goals. They conceded nine in the game before he took over. They conceded seven in the two games prior to that. So he has completely turned things around. And this point away to Fulham is another good point for them. And they get Southampton at home next. That's a game they'll fancy themselves in. Then they get West Ham and Tottenham and it becomes quite difficult for those two. They go to Leeds. Then they play Everton at home twice. Once in the Cup, once in the League before the World Cup break. But, I mean, the only two games I can see them losing are West Ham and Tottenham with the way they're playing. Now, Leeds could beat them. Everton could beat them. Southampton could beat them. They're all in and around the same level. They're all in that I would say, relegation scrap for now. You'd probably look at the league table and say that basically everybody from Bournemouth down West Ham, and I think Palace, but you can include Palace in it, I would say everybody from Bournemouth down bar West Ham have some degree of relegation possibility. You could even include Brentford. They could get dragged into it if they have a collapse like they did last season. 
So you could even include Brentford. So for Bournemouth, they've got those games, Southampton, um, Southampton, Leeds and Everton against teams in that mix with them. If they can get four points from those, that's a really good return. And even if it is only four points from the next five league games, that's not bad. That's still 14 points from 11 games. You do that across the course of a season, you will stay up. You'll have mid-40s points and you'll be comfortable. Do any more than that and you're on Dream Street heading into the World Cup break. Final winner there, I'm going to say Wolves because they've been on such a poor run in terms of results, but their performances had been better. And to get that win, which was really, really needed, especially considering Forrest were also desperate for the win and had Forrest won the game, they would have gone above Wolves in the Premier League table and Wolves would be sitting 19th, second from bottom, with only Leicester keeping them off the foot of the table. And they're looking for a manager right now. You know, there's a little bit of uncertainty around Wolves at the moment. Yesterday, we got reports that Peter Bose, formerly of Ajax, Borussia Dortmund, Leverkusen and Lyon, is somebody who's being interviewed for the role. Now, his football is fun to watch if you're into that type of thing. He basically coaches basketball. They are his teams are appalling defensively, like absolutely shocking. And I'm not really sure why he continues to get good jobs like Dortmund, Leverkusen, and Lyon because the only impressive thing he's done in the last six years was get to the Europa League final with Ajax with that young Ajax team that he inherited. He inherited De Ligt, he inherited De Jong, he inherited Donny van de Beek. They, they played great football. They were a lot of fun to watch, but when they got into the final against Mourinho, the naivety of the players and the manager got exposed quite badly. I, I just don't, I don't like that as an appointment for Wolves. I really don't. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. The football is fun, and maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want a bit of entertainment. But that could be the type of entertainment that brings you down. Good and all, as some of your, some of your players are. If he's going to leave you that exposed, like he did with Leverkusen, like he did with Leon, that's going to be trouble, especially where you are. I would say honorary mention here in the winners has got to be Liverpool, because given the start they've had to the season to beat City, is is huge. Um, losers, Man City, for many reasons. Um, the performance they put in, the tactical decisions made by Pep Guardiola were all a little bit strange. The behaviour of their fans and the behaviour of their club since, um, with leaking out allegations of xenophobia towards Jurgen Klopp in response to 
legitimate concerns that Klopp was raising about the fact that City, Newcastle and PSG can just spend recklessly and there's no there's no risk to them. There's no ceiling on what they can do. There's no end to the money. They can just spend and spend and spend and when players don't work out, such as Jack Grealish, it doesn't really matter. When you spend $100 million on a player and he doesn't work and you sit him on the bench, it doesn't really matter. Nobody's going to say a word because you can just go and buy another Jack Grealish. You know? Like when... Benjamin Mendy didn't work, so you just went and bought Joe Canseo. When Claudio Bravo didn't work, so you went and bought Ederson. When John Stones didn't really work, so you went and you signed Ruben Diaz. And so on and so forth. Like, let's be honest, Riyad Mahrez hasn't set the world alight at City. 60-odd million. Yes, he scored a number of goals last season, but he was scoring the third and fourth goal in hammerings. He's scoring penalties. He wasn't influencing games. He wasn't winning new matches. He's been largely a disappointment. But it doesn't matter because you've got so much money that you can continue to spend it. Same thing in your early days. Everybody can go through the list of players City have signed since these owners took over in 08 and look at the sheer volume of not so much necessarily flops, but signings that just didn't really work. Like the owners bought the club September 1st, 2008. So City went out and signed Rubinho that day. Flop. In the January, Wayne Bridge, flop. Craig Bellamy, not great. Shea Given, flop. Nigel de Jong, he was pretty good for them. He was pretty good for them. Move into the next year. Gareth Barry, he was pretty good. Rocky Santa Cruz, flop. Tevez, good signing. Adebayor, bit of a flop. Colo Toure, good signing. Jolene Lescott was okay. Uh, Adam Johnson, I mean, you know, Rubinho, Adam Johnson, Benjamin Mendy, maybe a little bit of um, character assessment before you sign players, you know, might be a might be a bit of an idea. But again, you've got expensive flops there, and there's just no consequence because the next year you just go out and buy more. Jerome Boateng flopped. Uh, Yagaturi, all-timer. David Silva, all-timer. Mario Balotelli, I mean... He did okay. Jekyll did okay. Milner, he paid 18 million and a player. Stephen Ireland, a homegrown player that was probably 12, 15 million worth at the time. He massively overpaid for Milner. Um, but, you, you know, he, he was a, a good squad player. But no one else at, the, at that point in 2010 could pay 30 million for a squad player. You're paying 30 million. They better be the best player in your team back then. Uh, Kolarov, he was fairly crap during his time at City, it must be said. Um, move on to the next year. Gail Clichy, he did okay for City, to be fair. Stefan Savage, flop. Samir Nasri, all, all due respect, didn't work at City. 
um, having been great at Arsenal. But Aguero obviously is an all-timer. I mean, what an unbelievable player Sergio Aguero turned out to be in the Premier League. Jack Rodwell, flop. Scott Sinclair, flop. Mykon, flop. Nastasic, flop. Javi Garcia, flop. That's a whole summer's worth of money on players that didn't work out. That's the better part of 50 million. At that time, that was huge spending. Huge spending at the time. Fernandinho, all-timer. Jesus Navas, flop. Alvaro, uh, Alvaro Negredo, flop. Stefan Jovetic, flop. Dimichaelis was bought to be a squad centre-back. He can't really go wrong. Um, Sanya on a free. Fernando, he didn't work out. Uh, good player, but just didn't work at City. Caballero was bought to be a backup goalkeeper. Bruno Zuccolini, I don't think he ever really got a chance. But they spent $42 million on Mangala, flop. $25 million on Boney, flop. Like... Most clubs would sack the managers if they did that. Most clubs would have to sack the managers if they did that, if they spent that type of money on Mangala and then Boney just six months apart and neither of them worked out at all. Raheem Sterling, success. Delph bought to be a squad player. Uh, Patrick Roberts never never developed. Uh, flop. Kevin De Bruyne, one of the greatest signings in Premier League history. 29 million or so for Nicolas Otamendi, who was largely paying average and only really stayed at the club because he was besties with Aguero. Um, and you had to sign lots of other centre-backs to replace him. Uh, Nolito, flop. Marlos Moreno, flop. John Stones, I mean, he's he's okay. He's never been consistently good enough to command a place in the starting 11. He had one season where he was first choice and looked good next to Diaz. That was it in, what are we now, six years? Claudio Bravo flop. Gabriel Jesus did well. Zinchenko at 1.7 million. Great sign. That was a great signing. Leroy Sané at 37 million was phenomenal. Leroy Sané, when he was on it, he was the best left winger in the league and nothing will convince me otherwise. Uh, Bernardo Silva, great signing. Ederson, I mean, 35 million was a world record fee for keeper. Kyle Walker, 45 million. Danilo, 27 million. Benjamin Mendy, 50 million. Like, the last two are incredible flops. Um, America Laporte, 57 million. Do you know, he was, uh, he was great until he hurt his knee. He's been good since, but he was great until he hurt his knee. Um, Riyad Mahrez, 60 million. I just don't know that you can argue he's been a true success at the club. I really don't know that you can make that argument. In the last season, he did get 24 goals. But if you look at the game states when he scored, he's not first choice. He's never really established himself as a must-start player for City. Again, anybody else signing a 60 million pound attacker would have to have him in the team all the time. Morgan Rogers, young player. Rodri, great signing. Angelino, they've bought and sold him a few times. Uh, Joao Canseo, 
now you can say success, but for the first two seasons, it was a little bit ropey. Um, where else have we got transfers in? Pablo Moreno, flop. I mean, they paid $9 million to bring him in as a young player, and he now plays for Maritimo in Portugal. I don't even think City charged them a fee. I think they just gave him away. Um, Ferran Torres, they, they made money on him, but it was a bit of a hokey deal. Aki, $40 million for a centre-back, who's your fourth-choice centre-back. Ruben Diaz has obviously been a good signing. Uh Nahol Bustos is a good player. He's a young Argentine forward, but he's been on loan the whole time. Uh, Diego Rossi, the same. And um, Stefanovic, I always felt like they only signed him to stop United signing him. Don't really feel like he's got much of a future at City. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, then last summer, obviously, Grealish. I'm sorry. You're not getting anything close to success on that one. Uh, and a couple of kids. They've, they've just, it's obviously gotten less and less because they're buying less and less players each year because the squad is where they want it to be. But, I mean, you go back and look, it's, it's a lot of flops. It's an awful lot of flops with that money. But they were able to do it and just keep moving. And nobody could do anything about it. Um, There are bits on the... BBC website about the Benjamin Mendy case. I'm not going to read them out. You can go and read them for yourself. There is also the news that Mason Greenwood has been remanded into custody after appearing in court charged with attempted rape. Now, he was expected to get bail, but he has been remanded into custody. So we'll see what happens with that one and see where that goes. Frank Lampard says managers have to behave have, sorry, managers have responsibility to behave on touchline. Frank Lampard. Well, I can think of some referees that would suggest that you didn't behave responsibility on the pitch while having many tantrums as a player or off the pitch when you were, you know, sent off for Derby against Rotherham. Or, you know, when you had your big tantrum as Chelsea manager against Klopp. Uh, Martin Cassidy, I had to, this fella's great. He's great, crack. Chief executive of charity Ref Support UK. So this little weasel of a human being um, got quite sarky with me on Twitter last night and the night before. Had a bit of a dig at Sam Maguire as well, all while embarrassing himself. Look, if referees don't want managers screaming at them, do your jobs properly. If linesmen don't want, or, or referees' assistants, I should say, don't want managers screaming at them, just do your jobs properly. That's all anyone's asking. I don't care how good this referee's assistant is meant to be. Three incidents took place right in front of him. He was looking at them. He was looking at Bernardo dragging Salah. He was looking at Bernardo kicking out at Salah, and he was looking at him when he elbowed Salah. He was standing there looking at these things happen. And he didn't raise his flag. Did Klopp overreact? Absolutely. Absolutely he overreacted. 
But there'd been three or four other occasions in that game where Salah had been dragged down, kicked through, and not gotten any free kicks. So I can kind of see why Klopp was so worked up. It's also the most pressurised game in English football right now, Liverpool versus City. I mean, let's let's just look at Pep's behaviour. It's quite unusual for him to, to walk onto the pitch in protest before catching himself, but he should have been booked for that. And then his reaction when the referee went over to view the screen for the VAR on the goal. Like, what was different to that as to Klopp? I, I just don't understand. Both managers should have been sent off in this game. Both of them. Klopp's reaction was over the top. But if referees did their jobs properly, if they took a little bit of accountability, then we wouldn't have as many issues. You know, we've seen this season some of the absolute worst refereeing decisions you're ever going to see. And over the weekend, there was just some shockers. The West Ham game, they were denied a clear penalty. Uh, Ben Chilwell should have been sent off in the Chelsea Villa game. The Arsenal-Leeds game was a farce. Anthony Taylor was awful in the Liverpool City game. Look at Michael Oliver's performance the week before. Shocking. And it's well known that junior referees on VAR for Michael Oliver games will not pull him up on anything because he will confront them. And I'm sorry, but that's a disgrace. Michael Oliver is not a good referee. I I know people say he's the best we have. If he's the best we have, they all need to be fired. If referees did the job properly, if referees did the job properly, we wouldn't need VAR. Simple as that. If the official, if if the officials did their jobs properly, we wouldn't need VAR. We'll do the gossip. Oh, before we do the gossip, Michael Carrick is back in talks over the Middlesbrough job. So last week it looked like he was going to be the fella to get the job. Then he decided he didn't want it. Now they've had a second round of talks, which have apparently been very positive. Maybe maybe Steve Gibson spoke to Lee Cattermole and realised that he needed to uh, he needed to go back to Carrick with a bigger bag of money because you couldn't be appointing Lee Cattermole. You just couldn't. Uh, UEFA's final organisation of failure panel finds that is UEFA's organization of the European Cup final. You know, it's only the biggest game in club football. Why would you organize it properly? Aston Villa are interested in former Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain manager Maurizio Pochettino. You heard that on this podcast long before anyone else brought it up. Remember that. Remember that. I uh, did find it funny. Michael Beale, apparently the new favourite for the Wolves job. He's only just gone to QPR. Now he has them fourth in the championship and playing good football. Michael Beale, favourite. Nuno second, Peter Bose third. Marcelo Gallardo fourth. I would go all in on him. If I was Wolves, that's who I would go all in on. He wants to come to Europe. This could be a great first job. Now, hire him knowing you're probably only having him for two years, but hire him. 
he he is well from what we've seen at River Plate, he looks like he could be the next big thing in football management. Um, he is 46, he's not a kid. He obviously had a long, successful playing career with River Plate, Monaco, River again, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, DC United, River Plate, and then National in Uruguay. He then became manager of National, um, won the Euro- Uruguayan Premiership or Premier Division in his first season there. While managing River Plate, he's won one Argentinian Championship, He's won three Copa Argent- Argentina, two Super Copa Argentina. He's won another cup that has a very long name. Uh, he's won two Copa Libertadores uh, and a Copa Sudamerica. Sudamericana. Yeah, Sudamericana, which is basically the UEFA Cup. Um, three South American Super Cups and the Surrogate Bank Championship, which is an annual international competition held in Japan. Fair play. But the impressive things here, two Copa Libertadores, uh, Copa Sudamericana, and a Argentine Premier Division, plus that Uruguayan Premier Division. That's very, very impressive. Very, very impressive. He is well worth taking a look at. His teams play really nicely balanced football, built on a very strong defensive base. You'll see a lot of 2-1 and 1-0 wins, but the football is good. Um, Oh, yeah, very funny last night. Aston Villa, so Football Insider, who you know I, I adore how ridiculous he is, he released an article on his uh, website stating that Steven Gerrard had been sacked. Exclusive. Gerrard sacked. Now, not helped were Villa by the fact that Gerrard was pictured last night uh, in a pub in Liverpool looking like he was, you know, a couple of pints in. Um, and it looked like he may have, you know, been out drowning his sorrows or whatever. Uh, Villa's director of communications who keeps himself to himself for the most part, quote tweets it. And let me get this quote tweet up. So Tommy Jordan is the name of the, is the name of the journalist, of the name of the um, communications director. How many times can you publish complete lies before people unfollow the account? Not sure why anyone follows this account. If you do, you shouldn't. Like when a communications director at a major Premier League club is just slapping down your whole enterprise, it's time to turn it in. It's worth noting that Football Insider have since deleted the tweet and I'll check their website. But my guess would be that it is that the article is gone. Yes. Yeah, the article is gone. No mention on their website anymore. Into their exclusive exclusives. Let's have a look. 
Oh no, it's still there. Hang on. Sources. Aston Villa decide to sack Gerard. Oh, this isn't the original piece. This isn't the original piece. This is a different piece. They've they've edited it. This has been altered. I also like the fact that they're now um, expanding into having, you know, randoms write some pieces. Don't know who Dylan Childs is, but he's now been given credit for a lot of these articles when everybody knows that the only person that writes this stuff is Wayne Vesey, um, who is an enormous spoofer. An enormous spoofer. Dylan Childs seems to be a faceless man. Does he have a... Does he have a Twitter account? Let's see. Let's see. I don't think he does, because I'm sure if he did, he'd be tagged in some other some other tribe. Um no. No, it doesn't appear to have any kind of social media presence at all. There are a couple of people called Dylan Childs, but none of them seem to be the one being credited with this work, which is very much just Wayne Vesey uh, pretending to be other people. Um, anyway, Graham Potter is keen on reuniting with Brighton Ford Leandro Trossard, while former Seagulls sporting director Dan Ashford also wants to bring the Belgian to Newcastle. France midfielder N'Golo Kante has not reached an agreement yet with Chelsea to sign a new contract, and there was a feeling he could leave as a free agent next summer. Atletico Madrid insists that Jeff Felix is not for sale, but his agent is apparently exploring options for next year. That's Romano, so tripe. Um, Diego Simeone says he should not consider signing Cristiano because of his links with Real Madrid, also because he's finished. Uh, the agent of Victor Simeon says he has no intention of leaving the Serie A club. That is music to the ears of all Napoli fans. If they can keep himself, Raspadori and Cavicia together and figure out how to make it work, you might have to change the shape a little bit, play Raspadori just off. Simeon, Cavicia off one wing and for now, Chucky Lozano off the other. That's that's scary. That is going to be scary. Uh, Wolves have interviewed Peter Bowes, as mentioned earlier. Uh, Chelsea's pursuit of Portugal forward Rafael Liao has been dealt a blow after Daniele Massaro said they would meet his the 23-year-old's father after the Ballon d'Or in order to discuss a new contract. He's going to stay with, with Milan. It, it, it is almost certain he will stay there. Brentford have open talks with Thomas Frank over a new deal just nine months after he signed his current contract. Michael Carrick has held further talks with Middlesbrough. Uh, Juventus are prepared to sell Weston McKenney. He's been playing semi-regularly for them. Uh, Neymar is likely to miss PSG's game this Friday because he's scheduled to testify in court to defend his case over fraud. And finally, Atletico Madrid could be prepared to sell Argentine midfielder Rodrigo De Paul with Juventus monitoring the 28-year-old's 
situation. Uh, he would be the wrong signing. As good and all as he is, he's not what Juventus need. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, Guy will join us. We have nine Premier League games and we will run through them after this. Right, welcome back. So, I'm joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am very good, Dave. How are you? I am appalled having read the um, the Defence Council's case for in the Benjamin Mendy oh. uh, ongoing court case. I'm uh, sure that was cheery reading. It was. It was. Right. Anyway, we have nine games this weekend. It should this week. It should have been ten. But Arsenal will be playing PSV Eindhoven in the Europa League um, instead of playing Manchester City in what would have been the marquee game of the week. So we'll move, we'll move. There's still some good games left among the nine, some really good games, in fact, among the nine. All crammed on Wednesday for whatever reason, but well done Amazon Prime um, for outdoing Sky and BT and poor scheduling, but hey-ho. But first up, we have some poor reading for Nottingham Forest as they go to Brighton. Um, I said to to, to Dio last night because uh, I was on his pod. It feels like this. The only reason Brighton won't win this game if if they go full Brighton and just can't score a goal because, albeit the Zerbies had the a couple of good performances, not had the results yet apart from the Liverpool game. Eh, they're, they're still Brighton. They don't have enough goals in them. Yeah. Uh, but that feels like the only reason they wouldn't win. It does, doesn't it? It does feel like the only reason. Now, it, they're obviously at home in this game as well, and they've been pretty good at home. Forest have not been good anywhere, and Forest have quite the injury re- uh, record at the moment. Mm-hmm. Omar Richards still out. Lewis O'Brien, they hope to have back. He's sick. Um, Renan Lo- Lodi, he's got an ankle problem. He's likely out. Serge Aurier, likely out because... Basically, he, he had had no training, got thrown into the team because uh, Nico Williams wasn't playing well and picked up an injury. Uh, Jack Colback is out. Musini Akate being out is the big one. They're still missing him. He, he'd started the season well, and obviously when he was in the team, they were doing okay. Um, for Brighton, obviously no Mwepu. That's That's such a sad story. Um, Matoma is out and Jakob Motors out until February, March of next year. Brighton haven't won under Deserby yet. They've lost three of their last five. It's been a little bit of a wobble. The performances haven't been bad, though. They played well against Brentford. They just got very, very lucky that David Rea had an unbelievable performance. They lost at home to Spurs, who will finish in the top four. They drew away to Liverpool. They're not bad results by any stretch. Uh, the defeat to Fulham was a disappointing result for them and probably the only one that they've had this season. I mean, they beat United. They should have beaten Newcastle. They beat West Ham away. Uh, they hammered Leicester, obviously. So all things considered, I think that Brentford result is, uh, uh, you know, along with the Fulham one, mm-hmm. are the two they'll, they'll be concerned about. Should have beaten Liverpool, to be fair. They should have beaten Liverpool, and they should like they should have beaten Liverpool. They should have beaten Newcastle, um, but they have been really good at home. They have been 
capable of scoring goals this season. We saw it against Liverpool, we saw it against Leicester. Forest just don't look right at the moment. Now, as I keep saying, I think they will be okay, but it, it is at the point where you're looking at it and thinking, well, you know, opening day of the season, you lost. Then you got four points from two games. And since then, you've taken one point from, what, six? That's not great. That's not great at all. Um, I don't see Forrest winning this game. I'm going to go Brighton home win. I'll go 3-1. 2-1. It is Brighton. 2-1. Yeah, it is Brighton. You've got to remind yourselves. But yeah, I think I said something similar. Myself, we'll move on to the other Tuesday night game. Um, if you're interested in watching both, one start, the Brighton one starts at half seven. This one starts at quarter past eight, so you can watch the first half and then, well, the second half, deal with it. Um, Crystal Palace against Wolves. Um, Wolves got a much-needed win, as you said, in your uh, winners and losers. Palace are strange. They don't seem to be their free-flowing best, but I have zero concerns about them. Um, it's just odd for me because they had, obviously, um, they went with the midfield of Eze, Elisa and Dekure for a bit and then obviously brought Schlupp in for a couple of the more difficult games. But I'm, it's not the area I think is where the problem is. I think you sh- you've got to move on from Jordan, AU, etc. Yeah, I don't know why Michael Elise is not starting over AU. I don't like I know AU works hard and I know he he runs relentlessly and he can give you a bit of an out when you're under pressure, you can thump it long and he'll chase it down. But if you give it to Michael Elise, he'll just carry it 40 yards up the pitch and have more success. I think this is something Vieira needs to address. He's got an issue at right back, he's got an issue on the right wing, and he needs to address them. That right side of theirs is their weak point. Um Palace, I agree with you. Like they've been a bit up and down, but I don't have any concerns. They're hopeful that Nathan Ferguson is going to be back soon. Um, he's t- taken part in full training again, which is what they were hoping. Now he's had a horrendous time of it with injuries since he joined them. But if they can get him back, he he could be the answer at right back because he's really good defensively. And it would be great to see him back on the pitch. I mean, the poor lad, you look at the career he's had. He broke through at West Brom. He was playing in a back three, played full back, and looked good in each and every position they used him in. He was meant to join Palace in January of 2020. The deal fell through. His contract ran out that summer. West Brom made a mess of things. He left, went to Palace. Suffered a knee injury about a month later. Then he had a thigh injury. Came back. Then he tore his Achilles. And now he's had this muscle injury. So he's had four injuries, two of them very serious injuries. I think an ACL and then a a torn Achilles. Um, He's played about 12 minutes of football since joining. Palace, he's been there over two full seasons. That is horrendous. At his age, he's 22 now. The last time he played football, he was 20. So he was might have been 19. 
No, he was 20. He was 20. The last time he the last time he played a proper match, though, he was 19. Like, just think about that for a second. That's horrendous what he's been through. Um, so if they get him back soon, that could be a huge boost. Uh, Will Hughes is working his way back as well. Jack Butland is still out injured, and James McCarthy is injured. Wolves, they've got big issues up front, obviously. No Jimenez, no Kalasic, no Neto. Um, Chiquinho and Toti Gomes also a doubt, but Nathan Collins is back and that is big for them tonight. Still working under a caretaker manager, but maybe playing with a little bit more freedom than they had before. I'm going to back Palace to win the game because they're at home and I think they're due a win. Um, they've only won one of their last five. Wolves have actually won two of their last five, but obviously Wolves had three defeats in between those, whereas Palace only lost one of the last five. Palace and Wolves both fairly good defensively, but Palace have more firepower and attack. So I'll go Palace to win. I'll go 2-1 again. The correct way to watch these games tonight, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, you watch the first half of Brighton versus Forest. Then during the halftime break, you watch the first 15 of Crystal Palace versus Wolves. Then you switch back and watch the second half of Brighton versus Forest. And then you watch the entire second half of Crystal Palace versus Wolves. You only miss half an hour of the latter game, the Palace-Wolves game. Now, if Palace-Wolves starts off and looks incredible and Brighton versus Forest has been a snooze fest, just stick with the... uh, the, the Palace versus Wolves game, but I would say that's how you do it. You watch the first half of Brighton Forest, then the first 15 of Palace Wolves, then the second half of Brighton Forest, and then the second half of Palace Wolves. I think that will give you the best possible viewing experience. And then on Wednesday, you get eight tablets, all with Amazon Prime on. Yes, for, your, for, the, for the five games. <laughs> now, Again, we have a situation where it's four early kickoffs, four at 7.30, and then one at 8.15. So again, I would suggest doing the same thing. Um, for, like for me, I'll watch if I get home. Like Obviously, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to get home, but I'll, whenever I get home, I'll throw on the Liverpool-West Ham game and watch as much as I can. And if, if if I get back before the end of the first half, then I'll watch the first 15 of United Tottenham, then go back, watch the second half of Liverpool West Ham, and then watch the second half of United versus Tottenham while you boys are dealing with post-match raw. Yeah, fun times. Um, right, we'll move on to Bournemouth against Southampton. I don't know why, but I predicted Southampton to win this one for no reason other than the fact Southampton do weird things. But, wait, Theo Walcott's still at Southampton? Yeah! What? You best believe it. I thought he left on a free. No, oh I think, they, try, I think they tried to give him away and nobody wanted him. Oh, so my God. Still has a, I think he's got a year left on his contract. Yes. Deary me. Um... Well, speaks volumes that the first time I've seen him is on an injury pitch, um, and he's ill. Um, but yeah, the main story there for Southampton, their two best players of the season are seemingly missing. Lavi has obviously been out a while, and, and Bella Kutcher, uh went off injured in that game. Um, 
whereas Bournemouth, as you said, in the winners losers bit, they've they've been excellent since Gary O'Neill taken over. But I just predicted Southampton pure because Southampton vibes. But uh, what what do you think of this game? So just on Theo Walcott, he joined Southampton on loan from Everton for the 2021 season, which bear in mind was the last season in his Everton contract, and they just loaned him out. No loan fee, just go away. You go play for somebody else. So that's how much he was wanted at Everton. That season, he played 22 games, which was fairly decent. He was fit for most of the season. Uh, since then, he's played 12 games. Played 12 games last season, hasn't kicked the ball I don't believe uh, so much this season. Um, Theo is out, which is no real surprise. Uh, Diallo's working his way back. Lavi is working his way back, but they're probably not going to make it for this weekend. Bella Kotchup's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Um, he's got an issue with his shoulder. He got injured at the weekend and had to go off. Uh, Livermento's working his way back. They're expecting a, a post-World Cup return for him for Bournemouth they have no Ben Ben Pearson could be back but probably not David Brooks is obviously still working his way back and Lloyd Kelly is out and there's no real information on when he's going to be back they've been very very um, cloak and dagger over what's wrong with his ankle or foot if Gary O'Neill leads Bournemouth to another win tonight, he should go on to the pitch afterwards, turn to the director's box and just open his arms up as if to say, what's going on? Why haven't I got the job? Because he deserves that job. He really does. He could lose um, 12-0 tonight and still do and that. <laughs> to be fair, and he, should, and he still would deserve the job. Um. See, you're just right about Southampton. They are just a weird team and they do weird things. And Bournemouth are a bit weird. And eventually Bournemouth will lose because they're Bournemouth and they're they're not very good. Like we go through their 11, they're not, like it's not 11 top-end players. There's some championship-level players in that team. Like take a look at the Bournemouth side that lined up against Fulham. Neto, average, average. Ryan Fredericks, championship level. Chris Metham, championship level. Sinisi's okay. Smith, championship level. Cook and Lerma, I like. Ryan Christie's decent. Uh, Tavernier's decent. Philip Billings, decent. Solanke's decent. These aren't, you know, you're bringing on Jack Stacey, Kiefer Moore. They're championship level players. Jaden mm. Anthony and Jordan Zamora, I do like. I think they're talented. Mark Travers, I do like, but I'm a bit biased. Jack Stevens is championship level. Joe Rothwell, very good in the championship. Don't know yet what he's like at the Premier League. I don't know how Junior Stanislas is still contracted to a, a Premier League football club. And Sariki Dembele, the championship. Like, that's not a team that should be going on long unbeaten runs. So I, for that reason, and that reason alone, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to pick Southampton to win this game. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Saints win. Christ, we've just confirmed Bournemouth winning 4 now. Yes, we have. We have. Congrats, Bournemouth. Yeah. Congrats, Gary O'Neill, on your permanent appointment <laughs> as manager. But he should, like, if obviously he's not going to go out the pitch, but what he should do is the the he, in his post-match, he needs to make it clear. I want mm. this job. I should be given this job. And he needs to go in to the owner on the Thursday and say, I want this job. 
Either give me the job or Let I'm gone. Go. Is the takeover is the takeover finished? No, not yet. That's and maybe that's what's yeah. holding it up. But the problem is the problem is that new owners might just decide to clear house. Mm. So I've seen stupider things in new football. Yeah. Orders. But no, yeah, I think I think as a last act of an owner, get him on a permanent's probably the best thing you can do. Um but yeah, I think it's an easy win for the new owners if that goes through soonish, man. Um, but hey ho, that'll be a fun game to watch. Um, Brentford Chelsea. Um, if I remember correctly, this was the last last year's game. This was the Mendy Worldy game. Um, obviously, David Raya had a really good game at the weekend. Uh, Kepper is back um, as well, which I think quite a lot of people predicted, but it it did show balls by. Potter to do that because let's be honest, Kepper was basically hung out to dry for a long time uh, under Tuchel and even Frank, to be fair. So it's, it's nice to see somewhat of a redemption arc mm. by him, even though I think he's a bit of a uh, can't think of the word without swearing. <laughs> he's one of them, isn't he? One of them, yeah. Yeah, that, that League Cup thing. Um, yeah, that's, but, yeah, I mean, that's gonna that's gonna tarnish his reputation yeah. for the rest of his career. Yeah. But I've been saying on this podcast, I still think there's a good goalkeeper there. Mm. I just thought he would need to leave Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of do think he needs to leave Chelsea, go somewhere to a lesser club. Like, there's a lot of pressure at Chelsea. They're one of the top clubs in Europe. They just are. They're two-time European Cup winner in the last 10 or 12 years. They're a team that wants to compete for the Champions League and Premier League every, every single year. season. Yeah. And when he was leaving Bilbao, he was out, he was after having a brilliant season for them. He'd been sensational. Moved to Chelsea and it just it hasn't gone well. Like it just hasn't. And he was first choice for two years and then it all fell apart. And he was, you know, back up to Mendy for two years under Frank and now or for a year under Frank and now the, the Tuchel time, and for Pollard to give him the opportunity, it was brave. Now, he's better with his feet than Mendy, which is... Not hard. Which is not, <laughs> not hard, but <laughs> it's it's the reason Potter's kind of sticking with him, I think. Yeah. But, like, I, I still look at him and think, you know, if, at, a, at a smaller club. Like, Albeit, for example... I don't think there's a lot of... Like, I don't think they could go get, like, a Mike Mannion, for example. I think that would cost an extortionate amount of money to... It, I think it's a difficult market, the goalkeeper. Market. It is. This is why my belief is that what Chelsea will do is they will go for Robert Sanchez of oh, Brighton, God. who I don't rate as a goalkeeper, but Potter loves him and he mm. is good with his feet. He's and just a I'm, big, he's big Kepa. <laughs> that's, that's what he is. But if I, but Kepa's a better shot stopper. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But if I was Brighton, I'd say that's fine. We want this fee and we want Kepa on loan for. 18 months. Yeah. And at Brighton, I could really see Kepa. Now, Chelsea would have to pay part of his wages because he's on huge money. But I could see Kepa at a Brighton type of club really, really coming into his own and doing... Like, he's a he's a much better goalkeeper than Robert Sanchez. He's a much better goalkeeper than David Rea. He's super talented. Like, when he was at Bilbao, he looked like he might be the next Jan Oblak. Like that same kind of build, 6-1, lean, 
super agile, fearless. But something's gone on at Chelsea where he just he can't save shots from outside his box, or he, he couldn't. That was the big knock on him. He'd make these ludicrous saves in in close range, and then he'd let in dribblers from twenty five yards out. Um, I still think there's a keeper there, but again, I, I don't think long term he will be Chelsea's number one. Maybe, maybe I think he'll get in the Spanish squad because obviously they've it's Simon. Regular and Sanchez. At the if minute. he keeps playing like this, mm. like the performance he put in against Villa is the best performance any keepers put in in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Like it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. So if he keeps playing like that, possibly. I mean, he was he was taking over from David de Gea, Spain's number yeah. one, before it all fell apart. Yeah, um, I'm guessing so, Simon's done well this season. Simon's it? done well, and Simon replaced him. At Bilbao, and to be fair, there was no noticeable drop off. If yeah. anything, he he might have even been a little bit better. Um, Chelsea have no Wes Fafana. They don't think he'll be back until after the World Cup. Probably the same thing with Reese James, who's had a bit of surgery, and Engolo Kante is also out. Thiago Silva is a doubt for this game. Brentford, no Norgard. That's a blow. Pontus Janssen, probably too early for him. Strakosha is out and Aaron Hickey is out. Um, Chelsea are in good form. Chelsea come into this game in form. And I think we have to back them to win. They've won four in a row in the league. They've won, I think, two in a row in the Champions League. So after like a little bit of an awkward start for Potter, they've turned things around and, and it's now going the right way. So even being away from home, and even though I think Ivan Tony will cause them problems, I'm going to back Chelsea to win two one. Yeah, I think it's just question whether Tony because Koulibaly's not really done it so far. So it'd be interesting to see that. Koulibaly doesn't like playing in a three, and I yeah. said that I said that when he was signed. And if Silver and Fafana are out, it might have to be a four. It should be a four. Play a yeah. back four. Pricking yeah. about with a back three when you've got like at the weekend they played. A back three with Ruben Loftus Cheek starting as a right wing back, and then Raheem Sterling moved there. Like that's not that's not a defense. It's yeah, just not. He kept changing it as well in the game. They asked Bilaqueta yeah. right back, play Cucurella at left Cucurella back. at left back, drop Ben Chilwell, and play Koulibaly and Chalaba. Chalaba as yeah. your centre backs. And just go with that. Just go with that until Fafana and Reese James are back. And I guarantee you will find that A, you get more out of Koulibaly and more out of Cucurella, and B, with an extra midfielder into the team, you have more balance and you can get more going forward as well. Mm-hmm. No, I fully agree. Yeah, I think that one should be quite a fun game, to be fair. Um, we'll move on to the next. This, these are all half-seven kickoffs. If you're wondering, Liverpool-West Ham. Um, Klopp's having his press conference now, and it looks like uh, Diogo Jota's out till after the World Cup, which is horrendous for him for Liverpool and Portugal obviously Ugh, bloody hell um, this it's a tough one because we don't know if Liverpool were just up for the City game I think that's the main question mark here and obviously West Ham they've not had the start they want in the Premier League but they do seem to be somewhat improving or seem to be getting used to the new lads with Skamaka improving Paqueta becoming more influential the defence, I'm not sure on um, with the new lads just yet, but they were missing Zuma. Mm. So I, 
it's an unknown, but if Liverpool look as bothered as they did against City, you'd have to make them favourites, but it's a big if at the minute. It is a big if. It is a huge if. Um, you look at a West Ham team potentially coming without Zuma. Dawson, on very unlikely, he's more likely to be there for the weekend. Uh, and Agard is still out. Uh, Max Cornet also a doubt. So that's one of their attacking threats gone. Liverpool, a lot of injuries. Diaz out until after the World Cup. Matip out for however long. Oxley chamberlains back in training. And we'll see. He won't be ready for this week, but he could be back soon enough. Naby Keita going the same way. Arthur out till after the World Cup might never play for Liverpool again. I might just have that little cameo against uh, Napoli to to tell his grandkids about. Ibu Kanate probably won't be ready for this one. And like you said, Jota looks like he's done until after the World Cup, which is just horrible for him because he was playing really well the last last little while. Um, it is all about Liverpool. It is all about the intensity and how up they are for this game. Now, West Ham beat them, beat them last season. And that defeat cost Liverpool the title. So Liverpool might be able to mo- motivate themselves that way, you know, because there's a few results like that where Klopp can look at and, and maybe use that as something to inspire this team. Uh, the lesser away results, this one, you know, obviously, if he, I think he could have used the Brighton draw last season but he didn't so they got a Brighton draw this season but the comeback was quite good in that game at least from Liverpool um, it's up to Klopp to motivate the team I'd be playing a similar team to the one that played the only changes I'd make I'd change the two wide players obviously you have to change the left side because shot is hurt I'd bring in Carvalho but I'd be playing Trent on the right of midfield for this one um, and keep Milner at right back until Gomez is ready to go right back and bring Kanate in at centre back. I think Liverpool will win this game. I I know there's not a whole lot to support it because the form has been so poor, but so has West Ham's. Now West Ham admi- admittedly have taken seven points from the last three games. Liverpool have only taken four from the last three games, but Liverpool do have the talent advantage. They are at home. And I think if Van Dijk and Gomez play the way they did against Haaland, against Skimaka, I think they'll they'll nullify most of what West Ham have. Andy Robertson has to be on his game again for Jared Bowen. But I think if, if those three players in particular play to the level we know they're capable of, I think Liverpool will win the game. So I'll go 3-1 Liverpool. Yeah, it's going to be an annoying one. <laughs> it's never smooth sailing this season. Uh, moving on to Newcastle Everton. Um, Newcastle, I think it came out, is acting injured for a few months now, isn't he? So that's mm. probably till after the World Cup. So that's a shame because he started off so well um, in that Liverpool game. So Maxman's not back. Shaz came off injured, didn't he? But he might get rotated. Um, but he, he seems fine. Um, but they have options at centre-back, to be fair to them. Uh, and then the squad options that are injured. And Everton have a million injuries. Obviously, one of them is Yerry Mina, because he's always injured. Gordon's back, though, so that's good for them in terms of outlet, because we mentioned Dwight Neal, uh, McNeil last week, didn't we, that he just looks nothing like his first, yeah. first breakthrough time at Burnley. Just doesn't look the same player. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't have a great season last year yeah. either. 
Um, so it just seems to be a bit of a hangover. But like you said, I mean, you look at the Everton injuries, Godfrey, Townsend, Patterson, Mina. I mean, Godfrey, Patterson and Mina, that's three quarters of their best defence, regardless of what Frank Lampard mm-hmm. thinks. That's three quarters of the best defence. Uh, Mason Holgate is back, though. So at least that's a, a plus. So he might slot in. You could see him slotting in at right back. Yeah, I was going to say, they seem settled with Tarkovsky and Cody now, don't they? Albeit yeah. it's very, you have to play very deep, but it, you do. it's, it's you working. You play really deep. Yeah. But one thing about playing deep is it does invite opposition pressure. And we know that Callum Wilson is the type of player that can cause you problems. Um, this is going to be an ugly game because Everton are going to go and park buses galore. Uh, Lampard is going there for a nil-nil draw. And I don't think he's going to get it because I just I think Callum Wilson will get a chance and I think he'll score. Um, it's a it's a lot of injuries for both teams and the Isak one is such a blow. I mean, he'd been playing so well, he gets hurt, he's on his way back and he gets hurt again. Such a talent, but injuries are obviously uh, a bit of an issue. Um, and he, the thing is, he got this in, in injury playing with Sweden. Not with Everton, or not with Newcastle. He did get one knock with Newcastle, but this one he got with the Swedish national team. Um, I'll go with a 1-0 win for Newcastle in what I think is going to be a fairly stinky game of football. Because every Everton game this season has been absolutely appalling to watch. They're the worst team to watch in the league by a considerable margin. Like, even Wolves, who've only scored four goals, they're a much better watch. They at least have a fun midfield. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Villa, they've got some fun players. Buendia, uh, Watkins, Coutinho, Bailey. And Tyron Mings is there. In Ramsey, and Mings is there for, for comedy, do you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Forest are, are interesting, at least, to watch because they're new and it's Forest and all the new players and whatever else. Southampton are fun because a lot of good young players in that team. Leicester have Madison and Barnes and Dewsbury Hall and Thielemans, so they're fun to watch. You go up and down the league, there's nobody as dull as this Everton team. Mm. The football is an actual assault on the eyes. And uh, I'm going to go for the Newcastle 1-0 win because Toon are in good form. I mean, they've only lost once this season. That was at Anfield. Took Liverpool till the 97th minute or whatever it was to score the winner. So I'm going to go for the the Newcastle win. But Everton are going for the draw. And don't be under any illusions that that's what... Everton are not going to try and win this game. They're going yeah. there to get a draw. And if we remember the reverse fixture, it's when that lad uh, handcuffed himself to the, to the post. Yeah, didn't he? He got <laughs> jail recently for that. <laughs> Absolute twat. Yeah. Isn't he part... He's part of that same group that was throwing soup uh, uh, Soup at the... Sunflowers thing, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Fun times. Um, moving on. Oh, no, I'm not moving on to Thursday. Forgot about the actual big game on, on Wednesday. Um, United Spurs. Now, I, I pitched this way to Dewa that all logic, you say Spurs will win. But United do seem to have something over Spurs, except that um, 6-1 game, uh, whatever it was, a few years ago. Um but I feel like this is just going to be one of them games where it's you have the ball, no, you have the ball. But 
with Richarlison injured, I don't think Kulisevsky's due back, is he? No, he's not. It, it's going to be probably Basuma coming in to play a 3 5 2, isn't it? So it yeah. might be a packed midfield. So maybe that'll allow Spurs a better platform to create whilst dominating possession rather than relying on the counter attacking Spurs. Yeah, and I mean, Spurs have Kane and Son, so they're always going to have a chance to score goals. Um, what we've seen when Conte's moved to the 3 5 2 from the 3 4 3 is that he gives the wing-backs an awful lot more license to get themselves forward. When he was playing the 3-4-3, the wing-backs were almost holding a little bit yeah. within themselves. Um, whereas when he bring when he brought on Basuma and put him into that midfield at the weekend, the wing-backs immediately pushed 10 yards further forward, and it mm-hmm. becomes almost a 3-3-4 in some ways. Would you... And, what what wing-backs would you go with? Because I think Royale's back after his suspension, isn't he? Obviously, I, I think, think him working... Doherty was really good. Yeah, Doherty was, gonna... was really good. And uh, United are going to... Because Royale is the best defensively of the three right-backs. And I think he works well with Kulisevsky. He does. He, because, he holds that side, doesn't he? Yeah, and he gives the ball to Kulisevsky. He holds the position and lets Kulisevsky yeah. go and do his thing. Doherty, I think, is the better fit. Or Spence. Now, Spence got... Got a bit of run at the weekend, which was nice. Seconds. To yeah, but at least he got on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. At least yeah. he got on the pitch. It's the first time Conte's acknowledged that he exists, which is nice. Who's this um, under 18? <laughs> who is this child? Yeah. Uh, did you lose your parents? Go onto the pitch and wave your arms around and your parents might see you. That's basically what happened there. Um, I think he goes Doherty and Perisic because I think that's the pairing that is likely to work for them. Now, Spurs do have some injury issues, obviously, like you said, Richarlison's out. Um, no, hang on. I think I think Emerson's out. Is this not game three? This is, is it, game three. Oh, he is out. He is out. So that, that answers our question. Though. Yeah, so it will be Doherty because he's not going to start yeah. Spence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he may Tanganga, have played Perisic on the right, though, and Cessignon. You know, he be could, yeah. He could do that. That would be more, even more attacking. Um, Tanganga's out and Kulosevsky. He should be back for the weekend is the hope. United, they've got a lot of people that are injured or have knocks or whatever. So Maguire is out, Martial is out, McTominay's back from suspension. Um, Dubravka is back. He couldn't play against Newcastle because they own him. Eriksson, they're hoping he'll be back. Donny van der Beek is out, Brandon Williams is out, Wan Basaka is out, and Mason Greenwood's in prison. So um Last, this is the thing. Last season, Cristiano scored four goals against Spurs. Yeah, but United are so much worse with Cristiano in the team. Mm. So does I, I would bet that today or tomorrow, Cristiano goes to the manager and says, "I scored four goals against these last season." <laughs> you have and Rashford missed a sitter at the end of the last and game. Ra- yeah, and Rashford missed a, missed two chances that I would take. And now Cristiano was awful in that game against Newcastle, and he was awful against Ammonia. And like the, the highlight of that game was United who were trying to score a goal, but trying to manufacture it so that he scored the goal. Um, I think he's got to play Rashford. United are going to try and park a bus and counterattack. Spurs never overcommit under Conte. So this has the potential to be quite a dull game. Spurs are the better team. It's not even a debate, but there is that little hold that United have always had over them. Like Spurs were a better team than United last year. United beat them twice. 
other than that Mourinho 6-1, it, it just has been the thing where Spurs find new and exciting ways to lose to Manchester United. But I'm going to back Antonio Conte. I'm going to back Spurs to win 2-1. Yeah, yeah. That'll be obviously the most eye-catching game, but might not be the most fun. But again... So many unknowns. Um, moving on to Thursday then, um, first game at half seven, we have Fulham against Aston Villa. Now, Dave, Tyrone Mings lost an aerial duel to no one in the last game. What is Mitrovic going to do to him? This is the type of game that Mings normally does well in, up against a big physical centre forward because he loves that bit of scrap. We saw him, he did fairly, like, he did fairly well against Haaland. Haaland scored. But after that, Mings just played really aggressively against them and, and was able to match him for large parts of the game. Um, Fulham are at home. Fulham have had a little bit of a wobble of late. They've only won one of their last five. Uh, lost three of those five. That's three of their four defeats on the season in the last five games. But Villa are dreadful. Like, Villa are dreadful. Villa have won one of five, three draws, one defeat. It's a better run of form, obviously, than um, Fulham. And if they were to win the game, they would go ahead of Fulham. If they won the game 2-0, for example, they'd go ahead of Fulham. Um, but I just don't see Villa winning because I just Villa don't look like a team that knows how to win football matches. Do you think Gerard will be in charge for this game? I think he will. I think he'll be in charge for this one. I think he'll be in charge for the weekend against Brentford because it's a short turnaround. But then I think he's gone. If mm-hmm. they lose either of these games, I think he's gone. Maybe if, if they lose, maybe you just pull the plug anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little rumour going around. I'm not going to say that it's in any way credible, but there is a rumour going around that if Villa are in the bottom three, they can sack him without compensation. Right, okay. And should they lose this weekend and, you know, if, if Wolves were to get a point, let's actually, Wolves don't even need to get a point. If if Villa were to lose 3-0 and, say, Southampton won, uh, Villa would be in the bottom three. So I could see I could see that he does get sacked after this game if, if it's a particularly bad result. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I think he'll get Brentford at least. Um, and then there's a week's gap, and then maybe that's where they where they go for it. But if the rumours are that they're looking at Pochettino, maybe they want to have a manager ready to come in before they sack Gerrard, you know? Maybe they don't want to risk... Well, look at Wolves. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, but, like, Gerrard's staff are all Gerrard's staff. Some of the staff at Wolves were not Bruno Lage's staff. They were people that were there from Nuno. So I don't know if if Gerard left. Like I assume Neil Critchley and all that crew would go with him. So you'd be bringing someone up from the academy, I assume, to to take over. Um, what do we have in terms of injuries? We've got Fulham, no Kenny Tete, Chalaba suspended, Kurzawa injured, and Solomon injured. Villa, no Bubakar Kamara, no Luca Dina, no Ludwig Augustinsson, which means you again having to throw you out can't 37. Play, actually. You, you can't play. You haven't. They've got nobody else. He'll I mean, die. Maybe, he will. Like they're gonna, they're gonna overplay him. He's he is going to get hurt. Um, Diego Carlos is out. Cameron Archer has has an injury. Mings 
has a, a bit of an ankle problem, but that's not why he made two big mistakes the weekend. Um, he'll be all right. I could see Villa get a draw here, but I, I can't see them winning. I'll go the draw. Do you know what? I'll go the draw. I'll go. I'll go one-one. But I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a tough day for Villa. I do. Fulham are just really aggressive and yeah. they move the ball quickly. And Villa, Villa are very slow. Like Buendia, no pace. Coutinho, no pace. McGinn, no pace. Bailey Douglas doesn't Louise, know how to no use pace. pace. <laughs> Bailey's yeah, just a, a law unto himself. Ings, when he plays, just it doesn't look like a footballer much anymore. Watkins can very easily get isolated. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to talk yourself go into a full of. <laughs> I am, but I'll go the draw. Yeah. I'll go the draw. I'll go 2-2. I'll go 2-2 uh, and a lot of bad defending. Yes. Uh, last game then, um, Thursday, quarter past eight again, so half-time switch, all that jazz. Leicester against Leeds. Um, Leeds have obviously not had the best run of form recently after the Chelsea win. Mm. But I think that's more results rather than performance because when you watch them, they are, apart from that Brentford game, because that was just weirdly, just just weird, um, they are combative in them games. Obviously, the Arsenal game, Bamford came on, disallowed goal for no reason, uh, missed a penalty. penalty should have had red another card thing. Yeah, should have had a... That was weird, that red card thing. But with Bamford back, it does transform them as a threatening team and... I think that's kind of what you need against Leicester. Obviously, I'm not sure if Evans is back, but it will be Amati and um, Faze, I presume, unless one of them's rotated for Seonchu if he still exists. But I think that would probably just help my argument anyway. Um, but with Bamford back, I think these are the games Leeds will have to do well in, because, and I think Leicester have a, a lot more injuries, actually. But I'd make Leeds favourite in this one. Same, same. Um this game is obviously at the King Power. So Leicester having home advantage, they should have confidence, but they've been just dreadful this season. Um, Leeds haven't been great recently. There's no there's no way around that. They're 15th. They've lost three of their last five. They haven't won in their last five. Like you said, they haven't won since that win over Chelsea. Um, those draws, one of them was at home to Everton. The other one they, was a good draw because they were down to 10 men for half the game against Villa. Uh, but Leicester, I mean, just dreadful. And the, the blow for Leicester here is not any of the injuries, it's the suspension. James Madison's the only Leicester player that's been in any way good this season, and he's suspended. So no Pereira, no Ndidi, no Madison, likely no Evans. Uh, Bertrand's out, but that's not really an issue. Uh, whereas Leeds, you know, it's Stuart Dallas, Adam Forshaw, Leo Hiel and Archie Gray. None of them would be starting none of them would be starting this game for Leeds anyway. Um, I'm going to back Leeds to win the game. I'm going to say with Bamford back and Leeds being a bit of a threat from set pieces, which Leicester can't defend at all, I'm going to say 2-0 to Leeds. I know it's a, it's a lot of faith to put in the Leeds back line to keep a clean sheet, so maybe I'm better saying 2-1. But I'll go with the Leeds win. Um, Sinistera back. He's got a point to prove after that silly red card. Bamford back. He's got a point to prove after missing a penalty. Harrison's been okay this season. I think Aronson's been really impressive. I love their midfield duo. I think Roja and Adams have really blended very, very well. 
the only weak point in that Leeds team is their captain, unfortunately, who's just not very good. But they continue to roll him out there because Liam Cooper is the club captain and for whatever reason, he's getting in the team. But they've got a vastly superior defender in Loriente sitting on the bench, kicking his heels. And I think if he came into this team, it would even improve them. Now, Melier is, is, is a weak point. That goal he conceded against Arsenal was absolutely awful. And at some point, I'd like to see Christopher Clausen getting a chance to see what he's capable of. Um, but I mean, the fullbacks, they're both playing really well. Christensen and Striak. Robin Cock is, is staying fit and playing well. Adams and Roca playing well. Aronson, Harrison, Sinistera. These are good players. And you add Bamford in, I'd be dropping Rodrigo. Because the goal was his fault, remember? That stupid ball yeah, he attempted. Um, I I would back Leeds to win this game. I will. I'll back Leeds to win the game. I think they'll go there. Like They outplayed Arsenal for long stretches and missed a penalty. And there was just chaotic things going on. And obviously the goal disallowed should have counted. There's, there's just no reason that goal didn't count. Um, I'm going to back Leeds to win. I'll, I'll, go to, I'll stick with the 2-0. I'll stick with the 2-0 to Leeds. And that was the last game. And that's it. That is us for today, folks. We will see you on Thursday. Have yourselves a pleasant week. Enjoy the games and uh, see you then. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.